This morning we begin looking at the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, and we're calling this series God Rules and Cares, because I think that is a fairly good summary of the book's message. And the image of the potter and the clay is a very good way of picturing God's rule and care. We'll see that as the book goes on. It's a very prominent image in the book of Jeremiah. Before the summer, we worked through a very different book of the Bible. 1 Corinthians was like a manual for church life. It dealt with the day-to-day details of church life. But the book of Jeremiah takes us higher up. It gives us a wider perspective on God's rule over all. Over kings and nations and the course of history and over individual lives. This book shows us our God is the sovereign God, and He is also the God who cares, and He cares deeply. We might imagine that a book about God's sovereignty would be a bit cold and a bit clinical, maybe, but in fact, this book is a book overflowing with emotion, God's emotion. He is deeply moved by what He sees God does not rule with a professional detachment. He is a passionate God. He cares about people, He cares about their sin, and He cares about their salvation. And maybe the unique thing about this book is how the prophet Jeremiah himself fits into all this, because he is certainly not detached from what's going on. In fact, Jeremiah bears his soul in a way that is unlike any other Old Testament prophet. We learn more about Jeremiah's own thoughts and feelings than we do about any other prophet. And what we discover is Jeremiah is feeling God's emotions. Jeremiah is not just delivering God's message, he is experiencing what God experiences. We can look at Jeremiah and we can begin to understand how much God cares. Jeremiah's feelings reveal God's feelings. Someone has said, in this book, we not only hear God's voice through Jeremiah, we see God's life through Jeremiah. And that makes Jeremiah unique among the Old Testament prophets, at least in the degree that that is present in his life. And it means this book gives us a unique insight into the God you and I worship and serve today, the same God. In this book, we hear his words and we see his heart. So I hope the result of looking at this book together is that we grow that we grow both in our knowledge and our love for this God who not only rules perfectly, but also feels passionately. That's my very brief introduction to the book. Now we're going to read the introduction we're given in Jeremiah chapter 1. So you'll find it on page 756. If you haven't turned there already, or in the large print Bibles, 1170. I read the whole of Jeremiah chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, 
one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. And will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting towards us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come together against all their surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. This is God's Word. And in verses 1 to 3, we get the historical situation of Jeremiah's life. Verse 1 tells us he is the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth. And we can take that as saying Hilkiah was one of the priests. It's not necessarily saying Jeremiah himself was a priest, but he did come from a priestly family, so he was well acquainted with the religion of his time. And he was well able to point out the problems with it, as we'll see later in the book. His family lived at Anathoth, which was just three miles from Jerusalem. So it was close to the heart of things in terms of religion and politics. 
The temple in Jerusalem was the center of worship, and the priests from Anathoth would have gone there regularly to take part in the temple worship, to lead it. And Jerusalem was also the royal capital of Judah. Jeremiah grew up in the orbit of all that, right in the thick of it. And he grew up in unsettled, tumultuous times. What had started out as the kingdom of Israel was now split into two separate kingdoms. The United Kingdom had its heyday under King David and then his son Solomon. You can see the map there. But after Solomon died, the land was divided. The kingdom was divided into Israel in the north, which was also known as Ephraim or Samaria, and then Judah in the south, which included the city of Jerusalem, and also Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. Divided land. Jeremiah grew up in the southern kingdom of Judah. That was where he served God as a prophet. And he did his work during the last days of the southern kingdom. If you want to read the historical record of those final days, you'll find it in 2 Kings chapter 22 to 25. Here in our passage, verse 2 lists the three major kings who ruled during Jeremiah's ministry, Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. Each of them reigned for a period of years. But during Jeremiah's ministry, two other kings came and went, plus a governor. None of them were in charge for more than a few months. And all Jeremiah ministered for 40 years, and he saw six different leaders come and go. They were unsettled times. And they ended very, very badly. The Babylonians overran Jerusalem. They took the people into exile. That happened in 587, 586 BC, before Christ. So we know about Jeremiah's times. We know how things ended. Verse 3 actually mentions it. He ministered until the people of Jerusalem went into exile. And that little comment tells us the contents of this book, they do relate to Jeremiah's time, but the book itself, as we have it, is for those who live after Jeremiah's time. Jeremiah delivered God's message to people living before the exile, but now his message speaks to us who live after the exile. That is the intention of the book. It seems that near the end of his life, Jeremiah compiled his messages. He brought them all together into this book, and he also included details of his own life, the things that happened to him. He was probably helped in that by his friend Baruch, who we'll meet later in the book. But the point to see at the beginning is this book gathers together the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah so that we can hear the word of the Lord as we read the book today. The word of the Lord to Jeremiah is a message for then and now. It spoke to the people of Jeremiah's day, but it's included in Scripture because it speaks to us too in our day. So verse 1 just set the scene for us, and verse 4 takes us right back to the beginning of Jeremiah's own ministry. It apparently records the first time the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. 
and we're shown how God prepares his messenger. Look again at verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. People think about God in various different ways, and sometimes they have the idea that God must be in a bit of a tizzy. There's so much going on in the world. There's so many different people. They're all doing different things. Surely God must be scrambling to try and react to what goes on in the world. They imagine he must be frantically trying to make something of us and our circumstances. But the Bible gives us a very different picture. The Bible shows us a God who knows us even before conception. A God who has plans for each one of us even before conception. A God who then carefully and deliberately forms us into people fit for what he has planned. There's no panic on God's part. He's not in a tizzy. God is the most carefully proactive being there is. And what he says here to Jeremiah is true of each one of God's people. Long before Jeremiah, David was able to say this in a prayer to God. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is able to say, God set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Paul is able to write to Christians that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God was active in each one of our lives long before we were conscious. Long before we even appeared in our mother's womb. He not only knew us, but he was making preparations so our lives would have meaning and purpose. So they would count. In Jeremiah's case, God prepared in advance that he would be a prophet to the nations. And God is telling Jeremiah this so that when difficulty comes, when doubt comes and even despair in the face of those difficulties, when all of that comes, Jeremiah can know even before his conception, God made him fit to serve God in all the situations of his life. In the years ahead, Jeremiah is going to be tempted to think that everything's gone wrong. That God has got the wrong man, that he should have sent someone else, someone more suited to the situation. But before that doubt and despair hits Jeremiah, God says, no, 
I knew you before conception. And I formed you perfectly. I formed you for the life I prepared for you. There's no one more suited to serve me in your situation than you are. It's a consistent message through the Bible. And one thing that all of this does is to expose the utter evil of the way our society thinks about life in the womb. When a country introduces abortion laws, the message it sends is, you matter so long as someone wants you. If you have a parent or parents who value you, then you're valuable. But if you don't have a parent who wants you, then you're just a bunch of cells and we will happily kill you. Every year in this country, thousands of lives are ended in the womb. Even though today with video technology, it is getting harder and harder to sustain the lie that we're just a bunch of cells. What those scans show us is a little person. A person the same as us, only smaller. More vulnerable than we are. But long before scans and video technology, the Bible told us God cares about and God even has a relationship with each life. Not just in the womb, but even before that life appears in the womb. When it comes to human life, no one cares more than our God. And he cares about each individual life. Down in verse 11, God addresses Jeremiah by name. He's not just prophet number six or whatever. God knows his name. The world is not just a mass of humanity to God. It feels like that to us. But God knows each one of us by name. He knows you by name. He knew you before anyone else did. And he cares for you more than anyone else does. Even before you appeared in the womb, God had carefully considered who you would be. He prepared a life perfectly suited to the person you would be. He set you apart to live for him in your circumstances with your unique personality formed by your genes and your background and your life experiences all coming together. Eugene Peterson sums it up by saying, the story into which your life fits was already well on its way before you arrived. This book about the God who rules and cares, it starts by telling us he rules and cares in the lives of individuals. His rule and care goes down to that level of detail. But we have a hard time believing that, don't we? 
Jeremiah certainly did. Look how he responds to God in verse 6. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. Alas is not a word we tend to use today. But if you feel overwhelmed, bewildered, and dismayed, then alas is a pretty good word to sum it up. After all God has said about forming Jeremiah and knowing him, the only thing that seems to have got through to Jeremiah is, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's the bit Jeremiah has heard, and he just feels overwhelmed by it. He immediately focuses on his own weakness. He says, I do not know how to speak, meaning I don't know how to speak to powerful, intimidating people. And the reason Jeremiah gives is that he's too young. Scholars estimate he would have been somewhere between the age of 12 and 19 at this point, judging by the, the reigns of the kings and what we know about his life. And the word he uses covers that kind of age range, 12 to 19. So he is young. And he does live in a culture where people his age didn't have much opportunity to speak. And if they did have opportunity, they tended not to be taken seriously. Jeremiah feels the responsibility he's been given is just beyond him. He is not able to be a prophet to the nations. And notice God doesn't argue with that. God doesn't say, oh, go on, Jeremiah. Just believe in yourself. No, God does not argue about Jeremiah's ability. But he does say Jeremiah's ability or lack of it is just irrelevant. He tells Jeremiah, don't focus on your ability and your words, focus on mine. Look at that in verse 7. The Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God says the key issue in all this is that I am with you. And I'm giving you my words. I will get the job done through you. Notice back in verse 5, God had said, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now in verse 10, God says, I appoint you over nations. In other words, God's word in Jeremiah's mouth is more than just a message. It's a message with power. God's word in Jeremiah's mouth will decide the future of nations. It will do things among the nations. God has not just prepared Jeremiah as a person, God also provides a powerful message. It's the message that will do things, not Jeremiah himself. And Jeremiah doesn't have to come up with the message. God gives it to him. And verse 10 tells us two-thirds of what this message does is going to be demolition work. There are six terms used in that verse, and four of those terms are negative. God's word through Jeremiah will uproot 
It will tear down, it will destroy and overthrow. Yes, it will also build and plant. It will bring restoration and renewal, yes. But that will come after a whole lot of demolition. As Christians, we like to quote God's promise through another Old Testament prophet, Isaiah. God said through Isaiah, My word will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Maybe we like that verse because we assume it's a promise people are going to accept the message. But the Bible tells us often what God's word accomplishes is demolition work. People hear God's word, they reject it, and by rejecting it, they confirm their condemnation. They show that God is in the right to condemn them. So if we think about our own situations, as we witness, as we're able, as we witness for God among our family and friends, as we share the message He has given us, the message about Jesus, yes, we certainly can expect God to bring renewal through His Word. He will build, He will plant, but there might be a lot of uprooting and tearing down too, as people reject the message. In Jeremiah's case, during the long years of his ministry, all that he saw was demolition. People did not listen. Forty years, the building and planting came after Jeremiah was gone. He was called to trust God's promise that it would come despite how bad things seemed. So God has already begun to reassure Jeremiah. God has prepared him to be a messenger, and God's word will get the job done through Jeremiah. And now in verses 11 to 19, God makes promises to his messenger. There are three promises in these verses. Each promise is tied to a picture to make it more memorable, because Jeremiah is going to need to remember these promises. He will have to keep holding on to them as he lives for God. And the first promise comes in verses 11 and 12. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly. For I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Apparently, Jeremiah sees the branch of an almond tree in a vision But it's a sight he would have been well used to. He grew up in an area with plenty of almond trees. I know nothing at all about trees, but experts in this tell us they were known as the watchful trees. They got that name because they always bloomed before any other tree. Their blossoms appeared in January. So there's a play on words when God says, I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. I'm alert, I'm awake, I'm up earlier than anyone else. Don't worry about that. And in God's case, he's not waiting passively just to see what's going to happen. Literally, the text says, I am watching over my word to do it. God is watching, 
ready to act when the time is right. So every time Jeremiah sees an almond branch, he is to remember God will do what he said. It's God's promise. Jeremiah is called to faithfully speak up for God, and God, for his part, commits to take responsibility for the outcome. The second promise is in verse 13. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It's tilting towards us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. Again, in a vision, Jeremiah sees a pot. Its contents are boiling. And unlike the pot in this picture, the pot Jeremiah sees is not stable, it's not level. It's tipping precariously. It's located to the north of Judah and it's leaning towards Judah. It's about to spill boiling stew that will scald everyone in Judah. And God explains what that means. Because of Judah's sin and rebellion over centuries, trouble has been brewing for them. They think everything's fine. But God is going to unleash judgment on their sin. And he will do it through enemies from the north. The picture of a boiling pot is a promise that judgment is coming. We'll hear much more about this as the book goes on. But here, right at the beginning of Jeremiah's ministry, he has shown the seriousness of what he's involved in. He's God's messenger to a wicked, rebellious people. And their wickedness is going to bring disaster on their heads. Jeremiah's work is desperately urgent because the people he's speaking to are not safe. The work of the messenger matters. It's a matter of life and death. We might wonder how Jeremiah is going to react to this. Maybe he's ready to blurt out another, alas, But before he can do that, God gives him a third picture and again, a promise with it. Verse 17, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. The final picture is a picture of Jeremiah himself. God says, today I have made you a fortified city. The point of a fortified city is that it can withstand a siege. 
And God is honest with Jeremiah. He says, you will be under siege from powerful people, kings and officials, from religious people. The priests are going to be against you too. And from the people of the land, ordinary men and women in the street will be against you. We might wonder, does that leave anyone who's not going to be against Jeremiah? Well, we'll find out later in the book he does have some friends, but not very many. With just a few exceptions, Jeremiah will have to stand against the whole land. He will be under attack from all angles. But God's promise is, I will make you stand firm. Like a fortified city made of iron and bronze. You might take a battering. You might feel like you're going to crack. But I am with you. And I will rescue you. Jeremiah's responsibility is simply to stand up and speak up for God. To refuse to shut up and be silent. He is to get himself ready. In the U.S., people would say he's to get his game face on. He's to steal his nerve. He's to commit to being the messenger God has called him to be and prepared him to be. If Jeremiah does that, he cannot lose. Whatever opposition comes, God has made him a fortified city. God will enable him to stand. Recently, in another talk, I quoted the statement that says, the only way God's people can lose is to switch sides or quit. The only way God's people can lose is to switch sides or quit. That's the message here. One writer says, Jeremiah's task is not to give in no matter what. And God's task is to make Jeremiah able to withstand anything. Jeremiah's task is not to give in no matter what. And God's task is to make Jeremiah able to withstand anything. Jeremiah has been shown a fortified city. And the promise attached to that picture is, stand up and you'll stand firm. God will see to it that you stand firm. God has given Jeremiah a serious assignment. He's called to be a faithful servant of God in a world that's unfaithful to God, a world that doesn't care. And the only way Jeremiah will keep going is by remembering God has prepared him for this, even before the womb. God has provided him with a powerful message, and God has given Jeremiah firm promises God promises to do what he says. It's not up to Jeremiah to do God's work for him. Jeremiah is to obey God and God will do his own work. God also promises that judgment is coming. Jeremiah's message is deadly urgent. People are in danger and he dare not keep quiet. And God also promises to preserve Jeremiah to make him stand firm. If we consider our own situation, it turns out we have a very similar calling from God. 
was given to us by Jesus. Before the risen Jesus returned to heaven, he appeared to his disciples and he said this to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jeremiah was God's messenger to the nations, and so are we. He would face hostility and opposition, and so will we. But Jeremiah served the God who has all authority in heaven and earth. That all-powerful God promised to be with him, and we have that promise too. We're all tempted to make excuses, to point out our weakness and our smallness. How could we ever be God's messengers? But God says, don't focus on yourself. Focus on me. I have prepared you, every single one of you. Before you even appeared in the womb, I had plans for you. I knew the situations you would face. I knew the experiences you would go through. And I formed you to be my witness in those situations and experiences. Your background and the ups and downs of your life, those things do not disqualify you from serving me. They have been part of your unique preparation for your unique service to me. I have made you ready, so stand up for me in your family, among your friends, and even among your enemies. Stand up for me and I will give you strength. You don't even need to have any bright ideas. You don't need to have smart ways of saying things. Just say what I have said to you about Jesus, the Savior I sent. And as you stand up and speak up for me, I will be with you. And I will accomplish my purposes through you. Before we gather around the Lord's table, let's respond to his word. Just by reminding ourselves, first of all, how perfectly God knows us. And then we can commit ourselves to live for him in the places he has put us. So we'll sing, all my ways are known to you, and then let your kingdom come.